Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I went down Twanfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Now that he's recovered from the back injury that delayed the start of his Manchester United career, Rasmus Hoyland is out to prove that he's worth the £72 million United spent on him during the summer. Having impressed off the bench against Arsenal before the international break, he showed flashes of what he can do on his full debut against Brighton on Saturday. But I can't help thinking the reaction inside Old Trafford when he was replaced just after the hour mark by Anthony Martial was a touch excessive. It may have spoken to some deeper-rooted anger among the fan base as they watch their team lose three of their opening five Premier League matches for the first time ever. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, fellas. Hello, and how are you doing? Hello there, Owen. It was a fairly notable reaction to the substitution. Oh, uh, an interesting reaction from the crowd there. <laughs> Do they just really, really love Rasmus Hoyland already? <laughs> or just really despise Anthony Marshall, or is there something well, more going on? A little from column A, a little from column B, I'd and, say. Yeah, column C, being and column C generally also pissed off at the start of the well. season, and <laughs> the owners still being there, and so on. It was interesting, Ken, because by full time, I was expecting the booze really to be ringing around Old Trafford, yeah. which didn't seem to be the case. Uh, to be fair, but a good few people had already left at that stage. They started leaving after the after the third goal went in. Yeah, right. So maybe they were the they were the ones who would have then booed at halftime, and possibly were the ones booing the substitution. But this the moment when that when that sub was made was pretty, it's pretty striking. Well, I think it was because Hoyland had been playing quite well, and people liked what they saw. And then, you know, nobody wants Martial on the field yeah. anymore. You know, he's been there for so long, and it just gave them a specific moment as well, though, didn't it? It's like, it's like there's so much going wrong at the moment, hmm. and this was one very specific episode where when they all got home did they all think that really was a disgraceful thing to do mm. or was it more just we just had to vent yeah that was the moment we I vented. think I think it's just it's kind of frustration that moment and also they I mean Ten Hag explained this pretty well afterwards I thought actually he said well first of all he said that's actually positive which I was like mm, this is interesting he said, because it will give Rasmus uh, confidence. They can all see how mm. much they like him. I mean, it, I, I, if I was see. Rasmus Hoyland, I'd be feeling pretty good about yeah, myself. Yeah, I mean, you're like, well... I don't think the lad's short of confidence. I get this, that sense about young Rasmus. I think he's all right in that score. Well, he'll need plenty. <laughs> but, <laughs> we, don't worry, we'll, we'll knock that out of him quick enough, <laughs> um, But But the point that Ten Hag... Have you seen Harry Maguire lately? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, point, the point that Ten Hag made was that he took him off only because he doesn't want him to get injured again, you know? So he's he's just come back from an injury. I mean, he arrived injured like all Manchester United <laughs> signings. And he, so they're kind of nursing him back to full condition. Presumably they're going to need him against Bayern on Wednesday. So he's kind of managing him. He's not ready for a full game. So I thought that was fair enough from Ten Hag. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, but, but obviously... 
it was a lot of a lot of other feelings were going into that you know it wasn't people weren't prepared to see that in the moment I, you should say as well when Ten Hag walks off the field he's being applauded by the Manchester United fans I mean it's it's quite interesting I think all of the the fractures in that fan base now like in terms of uh, the match going fans well the, which itself is sort of fractured um, but there's plenty of people who go regularly to Old Trafford who are like you know, our job is to support our manager, you know, and, and we'll scrupulously applaud and do the decent thing, you know, clap the manager off, even when they're angry with what's just unfolded, because that's what they should do, which is quite different from like the general rage that you will get like on on the Internet, which I suppose is more and more the what everybody kind of feels I feel the like the majority of supporters online or in person are probably desperate to get rid of their owners that seems to be something that unites most Manchester United supporters Everton may soon get their wish of dispensing with much disliked owners because Farhad Mashiri is selling his stake but what exactly are they welcoming into the club in the shape of 777 partners in their own words this US investment firm has established a global multi-club platform providing access to strategic markets in the world's most popular sport that multi-club model is expected to come under scrutiny by the Premier League and the company has also been involved in numerous controversies over the last number of years. Paul Brown has been doing detailed reporting on 777 for Josimar and he will be on the podcast today. Last Thursday night, what a night we had at wow. the Olympia. Wow. Second captain's 10-year anniversary show. An emotional roller coaster is probably a fair description. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. I won't have anything to do with it. Yeah, okay. I won't have, I won't have anything to do with it. I won't watch it. I won't engage with it. I'm not interested. It's a fucking shit show. <laughs> Nothing has changed. I'm tired talking about it. I've got other things to do. I'm going to cover golf. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm with Paul, by the way. Don't worry, there'll be no involvement whatsoever in this interview. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Speaking of the paddle. Just that. <laughs> just that. Uh, congratulations on time. I don't want to break up the show, but congratulations. I'm 70 years old. I think I've still got most of my marbles. And they just... They just <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I've never seen Graham Sooners rattled in all his time on Sky. <laughs> Can I do the big reveal about who's coming out? You can see this for yourself. <gasps> oh. What? Oh. Oh. Fucking hell, Paul McGrath. Yeah. Unbelievable. Some serious good wall controversy there at the end. I don't like. Should, should, we're not allowed to repeat it on the show. Is, is, I mean, it could literally kill a man's career. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to say who took Paul McGrath off our revived good wall, but. Mm. In other news, Richie Sadler was also there and we thank Richie for his contribution to the show. Our World Service members will be able to hear all the best stuff from the Olympia over the next couple of weeks starting tomorrow with our big interview with Graeme Souness who does indeed look in good nick for a man of his vintage. I just need another week to recover before we play Paul Kimmage in full. That's okay. <laughs> Five year a month plus There was some minor bullying going on. Nothing, nothing, nothing major. On secondcaptains.com you can sign up now to hear all the best stuff from the Olympia. Thanks so much to the 1200 of you who packed the place out to celebrate the 10 years with us. In particular thanks to the fellow who I met this morning running past the office who shouted out to me that he was there and had an amazing time. Very Sp- good. I literally put a smile at- you can ask Simon I walked in a big beaming smile on my- <laughs> goofy smile on my face I would describe it as it was because of that gentleman so that was a lovely way to start the day we want to say a huge thank you as well to Maldron Hotels for looking after our guests and crew on the night of the live show you guys looked after everybody so well with 22 hotels in prime locations across Ireland and the UK Maldron provides the perfect base camp for your next big fixture you check said it on. I did you said it and you can check them out at maldronhotels.com for your next city break be sure to click on Maldron for the best deals well, and I suppose we'll start with the game you were covering on Saturday. That he brought to the country, Ken. You were oh. the only one, you were the only one in the studio who thought that Brighton were actually going to beat Manchester United in that game. Uh, yeah, what I did, only realise in researching it that they ha- they do always beat them. That's their fourth win in a row in the league <laughs> against them. <laughs> and, so if you're looking at a team that's beaten the other team the last three times, 
Yeah. This this would make you this sort of rationale is more after the event. It's not as yeah. though you sp- oftentimes you get to that prediction well, part. It's like, oh, what's your I prediction don't... in the outbreak, and then you, you throw it. But yeah, it was. What are the team who've been beaten a few times? Are they looking in any better shape this time? Are they likely to play better? Like no. And what about this team that constantly beat this other team? How are they playing? Hmm, pretty. Well, I did say two one though. I didn't. See, I didn't see a two goal winning margin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Brighton have lost some big players, as we know. They've um, sold a few few of their top players from last season. Mm. Yeah, but I did rem- recall the win against Newcastle. They made six changes. Yeah, that was the other interesting part. We'll just change half a team here. <laughs> and some of the names, they, we're not talking world beaters. No. Danny Welbeck, if he was a world beater, would still be scoring those goals at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. for example. Mm. He left nine years ago. Deemed surplus to requirements for Manchester United nine years Solly ago. Solly March is a very good player. but He wasn't even playing. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about just Brighton generally. Would, would would these coaches have these guys? Adam Lallana kind of looked like level? an entirely busted flush three years ago. Yeah, well, Lallana has had, Lallana's had a lot of injury problems. I mean, he's I think he's usually played to a pretty high level when he's been able to play, which isn't really that often. The the two that amaze me are Dunk and well, Lisa van der Hecke because he hasn't really been there too long. But Lewis Dunk has been at Brighton since 2010. Right, so mm-hmm. he's been plugging away at Brighton. He's, I think, thirty-one years old now. Like, there hasn't really ever been that much. It's not as though it's like every, like a Matt Letizia situation, where every every season it's like, Wait, will this be the season when Dunk finally uh, agrees to leave Brighton? You know, he's been chased by all the big clubs. Uh, he's clearly the best central defender yeah. in the Premier League. <laughs> you know, that hasn't been the case. Now you're looking at Dunking around. This guy is unbelievable. I was watching England-Scotland last week and it was like, Lewis Dunk, this is his second start for England or something. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but, he is brilliant. Like, Yeah, he's huge. He's got like, he, he's got sort of avatar style yeah. athleticism and flexibility. <laughs> You know, he's he's like an absolute super brain, you know, galaxy yeah. brain in terms of, in, in the good sense. But he's also, what you know, to do on the ball. stern English oak. I mean, how how is this not captain of England? I, it's it's actually incredible. I mean, he should have been captaining all this time, it turns out. But what's happened, I suppose, is that he suddenly got a coach. Just <laughs> turned into Franco Baresi. Yeah. Now, like, it, I have to give away a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah. From, I think we're, we're going to play our chat with Soonis tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Convivial chat. You know? Yeah. Not confrontational. Go on. But he does say at one point in that chat, there's no new way to play football. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were watching Brighton against Manchester United or Manchester United against Brighton, you would see that, in fact, there is a new way to play football. And the Zerbi is showing us all this. What is the new way? I, I hear people say this a lot. Well, the reason that it's new, right? Three, I mean, it's not new in the sense that like, it's still, you know, the same number of players, the same number of balls. You run around, you try to kick the ball into the into the goal. Fair enough. It's basically still the same. But this is, this is new because it's a type of, it's a way of playing which has arisen in response to new things. Right? So the whole... Uh, way that the Zerbi's team plays is about how do we dismantle a team that tries to press us in an organized way. Mm-hmm. Now that's new because before 10 or 15 years ago, nobody was really doing that. You know, I mean, you had occasional teams that might do it or teams that might do it for part of a game, but it wasn't as though you had like, it, it was kind of almost the main thing that like coaches are thinking about and teams... Uh, play a structure around the idea of pressing. How do we press? When do we press? Where do we press? Who's involved? You know, this is like, this is what football is about now. And the reason that I say what Deserby is doing is new is because he's the first coach to come up with like, well, here's how to completely destroy that. Right? So, um, uh, it also, the the other, another reason why it's new is that it's also what they're doing has partly been enabled by pretty recent changes to like the goal kick law, you know what I mean? So you can start with two guys on either side of the six yard box, you know, all, all this type of stuff, which increases the um, y- your options or the kind of things that you can do in order to get around a, a press. But like this whole idea that like what, what the game is about primarily is outwitting their press in such a way as to, as to then create 
a chance for us to quickly attack from our own half. Mm -hmm. That's no one. Uh, th this was never football before. Like I mean, there was uh, there was obviously the quick counter attacking from our own half, but that was based on win it back from them, and they're all caught up the field, and that's when we uh, that's when we attack. This is like we've got the ball to begin with, uh, and we're going to play it around, and then we're going to break through uh, suddenly. And it's like four on four or four on three. And it's like we're all running forward and guys are arriving into the box. So this has not been seen before. But is it not contingent on, is the success of that plan not contingent on drawing the other team onto you? Yeah. I don't understand why more teams don't just park Sit the back. bus. <laughs> yeah, well, we, well, I mean, for instance, if you think back to the Community Shield, that's what Arsenal were doing against Man City in the first sort of 30 minutes of the game. Remember that that City, who have who have started to copy this, right? Guardiola is like, I know a good idea when I see it. This is like, um, let's let's bring this in. Like, I mean, this is this is kind of interesting for Guardiola to to so enthusiastically, you know, adopt someone else's idea. Um, but what Arsenal were doing there was kind of sitting back and saying, "All right, well, we're not going to. We're certainly not going to run up and try and get the ball off you because that's when it all starts just going past us." But I mean, so so ideas like you know, for instance, what was the thing that John Giles always used to say? when he was watching midfield players, who, which was, he's always kind of comparing them to himself, really. But he's like, I know how to play this position. What do you have to do? You have to get the ball off your defender, right? How do you do it? You have to move into space. You have to make yourself available for the pass, right? This is like his, that, that's, that's the first thing that you, that you should be doing. What these guys are doing is the opposite of that, right? The, 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 midfielders. the Brighton midfielders. So, here, okay, so here's the thing. The, uh, Brighton are playing against uh, Man United. Mm. Uh, Eric Ten Hag is a is a Dutch uh, he's a, he's a Dutch football guy. Um, his Ajax team, if you look at the way that his Ajax team played, their basic shape was four three three. This has been like the shape the the basic shape of Dutch football team for fifty years, right? More than fifty years. Like fine art, I say fine art are playing Celtic in the. Champions League this week. Feyenoord played Celtic in the 1970 European Cup final. Feyenoord's formation was 4-3-3. So four defenders, defense midfielder, two midfielders ahead of them, two wingers and a striker. Um, so what Deserby's setup is, is it's not too dissimilar, except that he's basically dispensed with the striker. And instead of having a striker, you now have, you play an extra defensive midfielder. And you're two midfielders so-called are actually really your forwards right they're, they're they're not really forwards they don't they don't wait around at the top of the formation they're playing in midfield but then they get into the box so like, like well wellbeck was doing this yesterday ferguson when he's playing for them this is what he's doing um so the point is that you have an extra player at the back right not at, not the back but at the back of midfield yeah, yeah. in order that you can pass around so you've got one two three four five six four defenders and your two deep line midfielders, plus your goalkeeper who are all engaged in um, your build-up play. Yeah. They have got maybe six players if they want to use all all of their front six to, to press that, but otherwise they're kind of like, well, you know, we we can't all run into your half. <laughs> you know, you've got the ball and we can't just, we can't just yeah. So so this is the, it, it's a kind of a numbers game at the back. So what I was saying about Giles' is, uh, Giles's point, you've got to make yourself available for the ball. This is literally what, what they don't do. So what they do instead is the, these uh, Brighton midfielders, say, say the Giles, the guys who are playing the Giles role in the Brighton's team, they actually wait behind uh, they wait. They wait behind a player who is going to. They wait behind an opponent who maybe is going to press one of the defenders, so they can't be past the ball because, like, the guy's in the way. But they know that that guy's going to make a run at some point to cover a defender, and at that point, they're free. And and it's really free because the guy who was covering that space is actually moving away from it. You know what I mean? So so the so the space in there is like the freest space. It's like mm -hmm. a vacuum behind the you know So, so if you, you're John Giles uh, trying to maneuver himself into space to get a pass, everyone is coming towards the person who's covering you is actually coming towards you because they see the pass and then they they start running. Yeah, they could you. they can, or they're or they're gonna move to cut out cut out the pass. But if you wait there and then what the idea is is that you're gonna get the ball but not from the obvious player, you're going to get it via a layoff. They're going to pass to someone else who's going to lay it off to you because they know you're free. The guy that was marking you has just mm. 
gone press. to gone to a press. Yeah. So the whole thing is about what are they, how are they going to press, and then how can we exploit the space they leave by pressing? Even if you look at the way that they move the ball, it's 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 like almost every time the ball changes direction, it changes not only side to side, but also uh, back to front, horizontally and vertically. Right, so they'll have a ball forward and then a layoff back, and then another ball forward and then another layoff back, and all of these moves are designed to wrong foot mm. the press. Like if you're if you're sort of chasing one way, the ball changes direction, you kind of have to change direction, but then it's gone back. You know what I mean? So th- so it's creating this kind of chaos. It's stopping teams being able to, um, you know, trying to trying to push you over to one side and pen you in in the way that pressing teams have kind of developed ideas for how to do and it's kind of dismantling all that and it's absolutely destroying everybody yeah like brighton are going to uh, i mean it's at this point like they they do look like they're going to finish in the top four well they do have european football is there anything starting this thursday night so we'll yeah. see that might test them over but uh, as we were saying the fact that they can change half a team and still go to old trafford and win having beaten newcastle two of the stronger teams two of the on paper stronger teams in the mm-hmm. premier league yeah West Ham messed them up, though. Yeah, but well, West Ham messed them up like. by doing what I was talking about and <laughs> s- sitting back. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Deserby, but, but presumably David Moyes and other managers have looked at the sort of stuff you're looking at there, Ken, and will be devising some mm. some game. It's plans. easier. Um, it's easier morally for West Ham to do it, you know, because like you know, obviously these guys are better than us. Let's just sit in. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of get the impression Brighton's results against the top ten, the top half might be worse. Brighton's results against the bottom half might be worse than their results against the top half this yeah. year. I mean, it's 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 it, it's crazy to talk about them getting into the top four, but that's at the moment what it sort of looks as though they should they should be able to do. Like they are, I think they have the, the highest you know XG or whatever. The highest G. Uh, well, yeah, they, they, they are they are the t- they're the t- sorry they're the top scorers. Um, only City and Villa have higher <laughs> Villa. I mean, Villa have um, have uh, slightly underperformed actually. But but you know, if if you look at that as a measure of the sort of chances that they're creating, like they are better by this measure than you know Arsenal, Liverpool, um, Tottenham. They're not just fluking their goals. They're not just no. They're shots. they're they're finishing. They are finishing really well um, at the moment. And okay, maybe they they won't be able to keep that up. And then you know they don't have the big squad, but like they are the best coach team. And when you see, like, it's not just Ten Hag that they may look bad. They they trounced uh, Klopp. Eddie Howe. Uh, Eddie Howe, Arteta. Like, they've all been <laughs> made to look stupid yeah. by this team. <laughs> um, it's phenomenal what's what's happening. Yeah, it's a good explanation because I have heard of the so many football managers. Neil Lennon said it the other day. Pep has said it. Stephen Kenny has said it. Mm. They all seem to be in agreement that this guy is changing football. And it's rare you get that sort of unanimity because normally if one person's getting too much praise, there'll be some mm. football men, this football, guy's not football all that. people who'd be instinctively reacting against that. And yet I haven't found those people yet because everyone just seems to be in awe of what's going on. So it's nice to get some, some of that detail. Kind of. Well, with the with the results, I mean, and, and again, this is like they, they won 3-1 and were, and were clearly the better team, you know? And, for it, it wasn't one of those like lucky three, like say the kind of West Ham win against Brighton, you know, which where you've kind of you've scored some lovely goals with your only attacks of the game, and they've yeah. missed a lot of chances. It wasn't that type of win. It was like you know, Ansu Fadi had a, had one of the easiest chances of all at the end, and and man, I managed to save it. It wears you down as well. That what they do absolutely wears you down because they have the opponents chasing shadows so much at one stage Bruno was trying to press mm. and in the second half and you, you physically saw his head drop at one stage it was yeah. a little bit like poor Olenda Stevens. we mentioned him yeah, after yeah. getting nutmegged by Dembele one of the days and just you could see the head going a little bit and start lolling from side to side running back it's a bit similar to Bruno now he wouldn't wouldn't be the first time Bruno Bruno's body language body language betrayed, betrayed him yeah. somewhat you know what I mean but it was he just his head and he wasn't giving it to anyone else this time he was just he was just pissed off at having to chase back yet another Brighton marauding Brighton player who'd beaten Manchester United's attempt at press yeah and, and there was there was a lot of moments like that you know and there was the goalkeeper Luke Steele at one point like threaded a ball through a couple of Manchester United players and it was in the second half Jason Steele just like did I say Luke yeah uh, Jason who's Luke Steele is he? A, is he? A, sure, people will be racking their brains, Ken. <laughs> um, He's an Australian musician, singer, and songwriter. Okay. Well, there is a Luke Steele who the is an English Jackson. football. There is one who's a football manager and former professional footballer. Wow. Joint manager of National League Northside Peterborough. 
Did I he... think he's the musician. I think that's who Kent's getting the He was with Man United. Yeah, that, that's the guy. Co- Coventry and Fuck Mr. Primary Songwriter of the yeah. alternative rock band The Sleepy Jackson. Come no, on. That's all. that's the guy who I was thinking Barnsley of. Barnsley is like, where he eventually settled in his playing career. Yeah, that's the, that's the great thing. Jason Steele. J- Jason Steele, after the game, was like, this guy has changed my life. You know, it was kind yeah. of a... It, it was like a... Uh, an interesting thing just to say in a post-match interview mm. well you must be delighted up you were uh, proper met like, up this man changed well, my because life. it was put to him that well because he, you've been dropped he's dropped you for last he's brought in another keeper he's doing what Arsenal are doing mm. and trying to have two number ones or these two this fate this the gloves are quite literally off mm. the gloves are on in this well, case well the gloves are off for one of them uh, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, th- that was put to Jason Steele afterwards and he said, no, I, I, look, he can do what he wants. He changed my life bringing me in last season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go along with it. So so everyone everyone at Brighton, like, you know, their eyes are ablaze. Um, you know, everyone is is a believer at the moment and it's, it's all going great. But you can sort of see why. With Manchester United, they're in this sort of opposite phase. Uh, I know that Ten Hag said afterwards, everyone spent money, Brighton spent money. Like well, you know, there there was these unfortunate sort of stats about the the nature the Brighton actual first eleven that played cost like nineteen million euros or something, which is literally nine one nine. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like Jaden Sancho's annual wage. You know, with Brighton assemble their first team for that total of (laughs) transfers. You know, the 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 entire Brighton squad costs the CIES Football Observatory had stats on this, which they put out last week. 226 million euros which is you know they're, they're I think the 35th most expensive squad in Europe I mean it's they have spent some money to mm-hmm. assemble that squad United's is the most expensive 1.15 billion euros so so United spends more money on Van de Beek Sancho and Anthony than Brighton have spent on all their players so this is this is the problem you know it's like <clears throat> we've See, see, there was there was all the usual stuff after the game about the Glazers, and we I mean, know the Glazers are bad, and and so on and so forth. But like, they cannot be accused of underspending, you know, in, in terms of they have the most expensive squad in the world. Leveraged debt and so on, not good for the club. But in terms of actual transfer fees, yeah, this this annoys Man United fans. But it, they have thrown a lot of money at the transfer market. Yeah, we're, uh, they, we're you know not their own money necessarily. The <laughs> money of the money Some that money. is, but it, yeah, the money that it, yeah. they have gotten into the club by whatever means. Yeah, the money has not has not. They're not getting the same bang for their book. Yeah. I mean, have many had a good signing since Bruno? No. Well, no, they they may have, but he's the last big, like, relatively big money signing. Like, you know, they're t- I think they're top six. Uh, you know, there was a list of them going around. Like, okay. You've got Pogba. Well, everyone was raising about, raving about Casemiro last year, but don't know. I mean, C- like Varane is very good when he plays, but when he plays, uh, Casemiro was, was much getting much more lauded last year, and Ten Hag was up made him change in the culture, of the club, being the, and all the other players talk about him. The, yeah, the most, the most culture, important the, signing since Cantona was yeah. a, was a phrase that was used yeah. about him By, around the time of the League Cup uh, final. Casemiro's. Uh, the, that culture change that Casemiro has uh, inflicted on the t- on the club, you can't. We haven't quite seen the we haven't quite seen the results of that change. He's of culture exactly yet, he's exactly going to play. I think it's also. fair to say putting Casemiro out there against Brighton, it's not fair. Yeah, he's just going to run around him. Yeah, they're just going. He doesn't have the, the the turning circles too wide. Yeah, takes him too long to get around. It doesn't look great, but I, you know, it's certainly when Casemiro is walking around with his League Cup winners medal. I would have been saying, well, he's been a successful signing. Yeah. There might be question marks. There. Yeah. I mean, I um, I see the sort of headlines that are going around about him, about Eric Ten Hag. Um, Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag looks devoid of skills to manage star players is one headline that I see. Um, actually, the words Ken Early are written before that. <laughs> Ken Early, colon. Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag looks devoid of skills to manage star players is the headline on my... Peace in the times. Now, did I say this kind of, kind of? Oh, here we go. Did I say it? I kind of did? What was my, what, the but point? But your th- name's on it, so. Yeah. Look, the point I was making is this. Bloody Ghost Riders. One, uh, uh, it, when you win all your games, <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when you win all your games, then, and you, you're disciplining players left, right, and center, then people are like, this guy 
has got a clear moral compass. In defeat, mm. strong. He, in defeat, he just looks like a guy who hasn't got the skills to manage big name players. Is literally what Ken wrote. <laughs> yes, yes. In defeat, the, it, say something like. <laughs> this was on the phone call went on Sunday night say something like he's looks well, devoid of skills dude <laughs> uh, no it's it's that it's a the results condition the reaction yes and, when, and never more so than when you're trying to discipline players yeah exactly if, if you're if you're disciplining players and winning then it's like oh at last he's sorting out all this nonsense but when uh, you lose and you know you're you're fighting with players like mm. Sancho who by the way is not a popular player among the fans as far as i can see because he never performed how would he be yeah. um then it's kind of like well you know why isn't he performing you know people start to look around and go why why do you seem to have so many unhappy players and there are queries like i mean the the maguire situation has obviously been a, been badly handled they should have been able to do a deal with maguire to get him to leave they they failed to do that um, if he's if he had such a problem with Sancho, and I do think this situation is crazy, Sancho's behavior, uh, you know, doesn't seem to have been good. And Ten Hag has clearly said it's it's not good enough. But like he has been his manager for quite a long time. Why why is this happening like a couple of weeks after the transfer window closes? You know what I mean? It's a case of look, if I don't think this guy's gonna gonna work, if this is like a, it, it, it's it, what what Ten Hag did is obviously at the end of like a series of things that have happened mm. right but at what point in that series did they maybe need to make a decision there look sancho should continue his career elsewhere what a wonderful player. instead of which they've now got this kind of he he's been damaged by this i would say like in terms of his reputation i'd it, say his, ten Hag or sancho sancho yeah sancho's For like sure. be, because ten Hag has basically said that he's bad a bad trainer you know what I mean? And that, obviously people are going to be like, well... And and then there's the fact that he, he's fallen out of the manager, so it's like, well, if we do want to sign him, we'll, we can get a little discount for that. Yeah. But, but like, their situation's complicated. Remember I was saying about their fractured fan base? It was interesting to watch the reactions that came yesterday. Rashford getting absolutely hammered. Absolutely hammered. Online. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, but what they have is this huge constituency of Ronaldo stands. Right? No, really. There's like this huge, there are, there are just thousands of these Ronaldo stands who are still implacably hate uh, Eric Ten Hag for booting Ronaldo out of the club. So these people are literally putting up videos of Ronaldo, uh, like furiously pressing, right? Chasing mm. after the ball and like launching into tackles, right? Like an absolute um, lunatic. Mm, yeah. And saying, look, this is what Ronaldo was doing, but he was booted out. And now, and then they show like, you know, Rashford standing with his hands on his hips. It's like, but apparently this is fine. You know, so you've got this like utter madness, like at all levels. Um, just, you know, the Rashford, Bruno is another villain to the Ronaldo stands, you know, because like he, they obviously didn't really get on that well. And it's just kind of, I don't know, like it's, it feels like it's it's spinning a little bit out of his control at the moment. Well, they have a big game on Wednesday night, so if they were to lose that, Harry Kane, hat-trick. Yeah. Start thinking. Well, waiting in Maybe store. Harry should have been the man. Harry, well, you know I mean? Harry, you know what you're going to get with Harry, you know? He's the Mr. Dependable. Waiting in store? Waiting in store for Manchester United Bayern is, of course, um, one of the game's most sought-after number twos. With Bayern? Oh, yeah. Anthony Barry found coaching came naturally. That passion just spilt from him the first time he faced players on the grass. Can't keep up with this lad. But presenting... He's at, sorry, he's at Bayern Munich now, is he? Are you serious? He didn't know this. Sorry, it is very hard for him to for me to keep up with all of his constant chopping and changing from one job to the next. He's known as Anthony Two Laptops Barry. Wow. He's got a, He's got a Bayern laptop and a Portugal laptop. Wow. Because he's, he's assisting Thomas Tuchel... So he only left he? us. He only left us last year to go to Belgium. He left them to go to Portugal. He's still with Portugal, but he's now also with Bayern. Yeah, busy, busy boy. Busy is the word. Uh, but but this is uh, Jonathan Northcroft did an interview with Anthony Barry um, in the Sunday Times. Uh, so the starter says Anthony Barry found coaching came naturally. That passion just spilled spilled from him the first time he faced players in the grass. But presenting to a room of people. He wasn't sure if he could find that skill. That's how he ended up in jail. 
Oh, <laughs> Did not see that coming. Wow. No, he w- he went to jail to do talks to prisoners and stuff and put on coaching sessions nice. to prisoners. You know, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't convicted of anything. No, no, no. He wasn't even yeah. charged with anything. No. He just went to jail. And he A was treason, or I think. He was just putting himself out of his comfort zone. Uh, no, there's treason. No, that really was a joke. <laughs> we wish him well in his coaching career. And sure, listen, there's a job coming up. What Maybe a, what a hell of a know. career this is. Uh, mentions his uh, he he was the top, he got the top marks in his 2020 coaching cohort with his dissertation, the undervalued set piece for which he studied 16,380 throw-ins, becoming a published work. Um, joined Chelsea, assisting Lampard, then Tuchel, then Potter, and Tuchel joined Bayern Munich. His first signing in April was Barry for an unprecedented seven-figure transfer fee. This is number two. So. It's wow. bit, no one's ever paid they work together. more than a million euros Chelsea, for number yeah. two. Uh, we meet at Barnes Training Ground where he reported back the previous day after 10 days with Portugal, a night flight from the Algarve, two hours rest on Lisbon Airport Hotel, then an early morning plane. In transit, he watched Barnes' previous match to flip back into club mode. I have a Bayern laptop and a Portugal laptop. One goes in the bag, the other comes out. It's about being malleable, he says, with a smile. To have the opportunity to work for a great club in great country is a great thing. He's got three kids, by the way. Um, he says, sleep, I don't get any anyway. I've got three, I've got three young kids. Um, finds time for German lessons and learning Portuguese, as well as a fitness regime, running most mornings at 5.30 a.m. Come on. <laughs> to make you sick. He loves on away trips to new German cities. He says, dawn jog through deserted streets, past the landmarks and stopping for coffee on the way back. So, uh, so most people, if you get up at half five, you'll probably get a chance to fit a bit of exercise into your life. Yeah. Uh, Even Anthony Barry, a man as busy as busy yeah. Barry. Uh, two, busy, busy Barry. Two jobs, uh, two jobs, three kids. Um, lots of stories. Uh, mentions, he's talking about the great players he's worked with, Harry, Cristiano, you know, top players. Uh, then there's Thiago Silva. I remember Arsenal away in his first season. We weren't doing so well. He stood up at half time. The dressing room went silent. He spoke for about 10 minutes. In total Portuguese, not one word of English. And somehow I felt I understood every word and the whole room was engrossed. Thiago will be a head coach for sure. <laughs> what? Thiago Silva gave a 10 minute speech in Portuguese <laughs> to the Chelsea dressing room. I mean, what effect did this have? I looked it up. Uh, they were 2 0 down at halftime, went 3 0 down about 10 minutes into the second half, and did get a consolation goal through Tammy Abraham. Oh. Basically, the upshot was, let's not lose the second half. And they didn't, Ken. Mission accomplished. Harry Kane, we speak a lot. This is Kane, who's obviously the Bayern super uh, canona. Uh, We speak a lot about schools. He has four kids, and our children are similar ages. Where to live, and I want to help him settle here. But Harry would fit into any club, any team, in any league in the world. Uh, I saw, actually, there was was news that Harry Kane, his family were actually going to stay in London for the time being. Yeah. While he... um, he moved into the Munich suburb of Grunewald. I suppose he's got time to concentrate on his yeah. on his work. Uh, his family are still going to stick in London for the time being. What else is going on? So, uh, he also says Manchester United are lucky to have Mason Mount, who obviously he worked with as Chelsea. Yeah. So he's going to be a top, uh, he's going to go right to the top. What else is going on? Well, we haven't really talked much about Big Ange yet. No. But the fact is that this guy has just made Tottenham just feel... Like, are Tottenham going to be the Lewis Dunk of the of the sort of 2020s? You know, in club, are they Lewis Dunk in club form? <laughs> They've been plugging away all this time, and they're suddenly just, just all it took was just big Ange, you know, that damn smile, just to make them feel, you know what, like, this isn't so difficult. The goal is there. Just let's kick it in and Doesn't matter celebrate. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It might take 109 minutes. <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Just, come. just keep going. Um, Lads, we're Spurs. We're, we're yeah. Spurs. We're we are Spurs. Yeah. Reclaiming the language. That's yeah, what it's correct. all about. I mean, how do you change a culture on? You take back the words used against you and you take them on as your own. Lads, we're Tottenham. We're, we're Tottenham. Um, wow. That's deep, lads. Well, I thought, I thought Big Andrew was maybe going to uh, uh, hit his first um, setback of Spurs' career this uh, the weekend just gone because he had become so popular with his empathetic uh, video, uh, emp- empathetic 
comments about Richarlison. So Richarlison had gone away with Brazil, had a bit of a nightmare. He was like crying on the bench and stuff like this after being substituted, missing chances. Uh, then he said afterwards, I'm, I'm gonna, I have to see a psychologist. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to, and Ange Postacoglu was talking about this then. And he basically said, look, you know, no one's, no one's life is perfect, you know? Uh, and, and just delivered a series of kind of, he, he doesn't, I think the great thing about him is his tone is just so kind of, he, he, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't Matter get awkward. Of fact or something? Yeah, he sounds natural. Yes, natural, yeah, yeah. And he, he doesn't sort of get like, he doesn't sort of get tense or awkward or silted. He just sort of talks about these things in quite a normal way as though, yeah, you know, everyone's, everyone's got problems. I mean, you've got problems, I've got problems, you know. Talked about his, his father dying a, f- a few years ago and how, how he still kind of struggles with this at times. And, you know, kind of just sort of made everyone in the room who was listening to it feel better. Mm. Richarlison comes out and plays one of the best games he's ever played for Tottenham. Scores a goal, sets up the winner a couple of uh, minutes later for Kulisevsky, which is an absolute, like, top blowing off the stadium moment because they've been losing 1-0 for, like, 97 minutes, and now they've just won 2-1. And it's a really, not that it matters, you could head in a corner, it's still going to lift the roof off, but it was such a well-worked goal under the circumstances by Tottenham, Richarlison. Even the finish, Kulisevsky takes a couple of touches to steady it and then... Knocks it home. Yeah, he. Um, so it's going. It's going incredibly. And everyone's like, "Wow, you know, this just feels so good." Like, you know, what if we're just, what if we're actually, you good. know, we're actually good. <laughs> you know, uh, there was the there was controversy as well, of course. Yeah. Uh, Paul Heckingbottom, the Sheffield United manager, was lashing into the referees afterwards. How the the time um, time wasting anti time wasting directives are, in his view. Uh, show that the referees literally do not understand football anymore um, because uh, the referees started, uh, you know, shouting at the Sheffield United players to hurry up with their build-up. But as he tried to explain afterwards, uh, we're building up in a certain way. You know, everyone is doing this now. Um, But Tottenham then changed the way that they're oppressing us, which means we have to change or we, you know, it takes a little bit of time to figure out what to do. Now, this is what he's saying. Yeah. Tottenham fans of the game are like, these guys are time-wasting, you know? Uh, so, Heckenbottom was having a bit of a whinge about it, and he said that the referee told him, look, if you can't make your mind up what to do, then kick it long. And he's like, well, you know, that's that's nonsense. Like, the referee's trying to, you know, we work on playing playing this way, then the referee says... The ref said the, that to him. Yeah. The ref's going to book us if we don't kick it long, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so... Um, so I thought it was an interesting case that he made. Um, like there is a, it's it's an example of like the kind of directives of the PGMOL or whatever conflicting with how the game is now played. But I also think that there is a, a bit of a case that you can't just take forever to, you know, especially when you're like away at Tottenham and under loads of pressure. It is a little bit convenient to be sort of, oh, it, it takes us for, maybe making up your mind quickly is something which is just, people are going to have to get used to, you know, in the sense of you, you don't have all day to plot your way out of this press. Bring in a shot clock. Yeah, I mean, every, every time it's like, let's introduce a new rule or whatever. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tension there because at, on one level, you, you know, I kind of, sympathize with that overall direction of time. But then again, why do you need to be so harsh on this when you're adding on? How many minutes were added on in this? Like 11, 12, 13 minutes? I don't know, did you see the shot clock in, the, there's a shot clock for place kickers in rugby? Yes. So they show it on the screen in the stadium and they also have it on TV once it starts getting close to crunch time. Johnny Sexton kicked one where the shot clock is counting down, counting down, counting down, gets to zero, goes a couple more seconds, then he slots it over. And he wasn't penalised anyway. Mm. And talking captain like, goes what? up to the referee. Uh, what's the story with this? And he's like, "It was close. It was very, very close." This way, birds. Not that close. No, it looked like he was at least a second on the wrong yeah, side. Of he it. basically has a minute to, or whatever it is. So seconds. much time. I don't know how so much time. So much time. Because anyway, you only start seeing the seconds towards the yeah, end. Anyway, yeah. that's that's neither here nor there, Ken. Mm. Neither here. Can nor I just ask you one quick thing before we finish here? Yeah. What the hell happened to Eddie Giants? Oh, Ken. Well, that's for the other podcast, surely. I know. Just give us a quick. What, a, a quick summation What's happened? he picked one out half and it turns out his out half not very good <laughs> one out half in a 33 man squad I mean some called it a bold a bold selection um, uh, others would say it was completely and utterly deranged either way 
Fiji should have beaten Australia by 15 points, at least 20 points. As it was, it was only seven. He gets a bonus point. He's still fighting for this title, Ken. Mm. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. We've got that bit better quality. And we've just got to make it count. It might be a knob end. Is it too much to ask? In 91st minute, that wins it. So basically, guys, any chance you train? I don't know, Roy said something under his breath about Johnny or something. You're always on the team until never fuck. Roy is Roy, isn't he? I'm sure there's lessons to be learned by everybody. And Harry was just going, Roy, I'm not speaking to you like this, like, you know, I'm not listening to you. When I got the sack at Sheffield United, the, the only guy that spoke to me was Roy Keane. I'll never forget that. And I thought that was a bit of class. We've got that bit better quality, and we've just got to make it count. You got me it might be a knob end in 91st minute that wins it. Last week, Everton's majority shareholder, Farhad Mashiri, announced he had signed an agreement with US investment firm 777 Partners to sell his 94.1% stake in the club. Paul Brown has been reporting with Philippe Beauclair on 777 Partners' involvement with football for Jossimar magazine in Norway. Paul, thanks very much for talking to us. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Obvious question to start with is, who are 777 Partners? Right. Well, uh, that's not necessarily an easy question to answer. They are a private equity uh, investment firm uh, who claim to be investing all of their own money in various clubs around the world. They own several. The issue here is that uh, none of the people involved in in this enterprise are, are billionaires and questions have been raised about exactly whose money it is that they are using. They made their money um, in times gone by in the, the world of structured settlements in the US, which is a, uh, an insurance and reinsurance enterprise. And their co-founder, Josh Wander, has a criminal conviction in the States. I think this is the, the reason that people first started to, to look into them, perhaps. What is that criminal conviction for, just to clarify that for us? He, he pleaded no contest in 2004 to charges of attempted cocaine trafficking. Reports at the time suggested that he avoided a lengthy jail term with that plea and he was put on lengthy probation instead. To my knowledge, I don't know that any other Premier League teams have ever been owned or or had a director who has a a conviction like this or who has a criminal record like this, I should should clarify. But but the, the legal advice that I've seen from the Premier League is that because this conviction is spent, it wouldn't necessarily... Uh, automatically bar him from being an owner or director of a club. And I think that in it, in itself is interesting and raises questions about whether that, that is okay for football, really. Football, I think, needs to, to come to a decision about what kind of owners they allow into the game and how strict some of these rules are. I, I mean, having a criminal past like that would automatically bar you from from other roles in, in public life, whether it's right for football to do to do the same is um, a matter for debate, I would say. Everton's statement included the following uh, blurb about 777 Partners. Uh, They've established a a global multi-club platform providing access to strategic markets in the world's most popular sport. 777 Football Group is bringing together some of the most historic football clubs in the world within a structure that creates significant synergies through access to world-class data and analytics, player development and global commercial opportunities. Uh, And they note that the 777 Football Group currently comprises Genoa in Italy, Vasco da Gama in Brazil, Hertha, BSC in Germany, Standard Liège in Belgium, Red Star FC 
in France, Sevilla in Spain, Melbourne Victory FC in Australia. So this is a, this is one of the biggest multi-club networks in the world. As your uh, pieces in shows tomorrow with Philippe uh, detail, or you've estimated it, it probably costs about nine hundred million dollars to put together this this empire. Um, we can also see that all of these clubs uh, chronically lose money. What is it about these loss-making entities, of which Everton, I suppose, would be really the jewel in the crown, that attracts these investors? Yeah, it's it's hard to say it at face value. The idea behind it, behind most multi-club models, is that you know you share you share knowledge and you share commercial opportunities. Most multi-club owners tend to have a flagship club in a league like the Premier League, where they are able to farm out academy prospects to other clubs in the in their own pyramid to give them minutes and uh, help develop them in in the first teams of of other of other clubs this hasn't really been uh part of the 777 operation yet it's it, it is i have to say early days for their ownership in some of their clubs and they own bigger stakes in in some than others so it may be that this is something they try to do further down the line, but obviously the 777 portfolio does not yet um, contain a, a flagship club like that. And if you listen to what um, Josh Wander, their, their founding partner, says in public about um, the business model and why they went into this, it wasn't to create a, a model like this. It wasn't to following the footsteps of, of Citigroup, for instance, it's it's kind of, it's almost come about by accident because they initially invested in these clubs because they wanted to invest in in, in income streams like TV rights around the world. They, they weren't in this to create a, a multi-club model to begin with. He's He's been quite open about that. It's um, since become something they have looked into and decided to do. It's true that a lot of these clubs are in financial difficulty it's difficult to say how much blame you should put on 777 for that because, as I say, they own different stakes in each one and bought into each one at, at different times. But I think if you look across the portfolio, there are growing numbers among the fan bases of, of these clubs who have spoken out and protested against this group. They don't like what's what's going on. Vasco da Gama fans are particularly furious with them. There were recent protests by Hertha Berlin fans at games and Standard Liège fans. Oh, 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 over what in particular, Paul? What, what are they protesting? What do they not like about how those clubs are being run? In each case, it's it's slightly different. But in, in the case of Vasco in, in Brazil, um, they claim there are a lot of broken promises by this group that they uh, promised to put in certain amounts of money in, in investment and that that hasn't happened. They are late, apparently, with payments on, on players that were promised that they, they would bring in to the club. Um, in Belgium, we, we did a, a big article on, on Standard, who are in all sorts of financial difficulty and uh, in trouble with the, the licensing authority there as well. Um, that has had uh, the effect of, of, I think, putting the future of the club in serious doubt and that is that is something that fans obviously uh, should be quite worried about the situation in germany is is a little different because germany has very strict rules on ownership and initially i think uh, the fans were protesting as much about the fact that owners are not allowed to come in and have undue influence on a club from from outside as they were about 777 themselves but uh, a, a recent interview by Josh Wonder where he talks quite openly about wanting to monetize fan bases and sell them not just hot dogs in, in the stands, but things like insurance did not go down well with Hertha fans and they were banners at a recent match uh, criticizing him for that. So in, in each case, it's slightly different, but there is a thread of, of fans turning against them at various parts of their empire. The, the German case is, is an interesting one because I thought this kind of thing wasn't allowed to happen in Germany. I mean, they, they've got, you know, the 50 plus one rule. They have, mm. there are exceptions to it, but I thought the exceptions were Leverkusen and Wolfsburg who are like factory teams, uh, Orbi Leipzig who have kind of found a, a workaround uh, and Hoppen, uh, Hoffenheim rather. Um, again, I'm not quite sure why they're an exception. How, how is it that Hertha ended up being owned by these guys. And, and and does it also maybe have implications for the situation in the Premier League where maybe the Premier League, with their attitude to, to owners having been, let's say, fairly liberal, 
might say, well, you know, if it'll do for uh, the Germans, then you know, do we have much to worry about? Okay, so there's a there's a couple of things there. Um, I think a, a lot of very good detailed investigative reporting has been done on Hertha in Germany already by some very well respected media partners of ours. And our, our understanding is that uh, when that that deal was done, it didn't initially pass muster for the licensing authority. So there was a threat that Hertha would not be allowed to start this season because they had um, not. Uh, had the had their like their license wasn't being approved because there were issues with this deal and I understand that the deal had to be changed at least once before their their license was granted for them to to operate. So you know I, I think that case has been been looked into in, in quite some detail, but I don't know that it would have a whole lot of of influence on what happens with Everton in the Premier League. I, I think there are other issues there. Um, Everton have two existing lenders who both have a say in what happens uh, in, in terms of a change of ownership. Early indications are that both of them would call in their debts were 777 to complete a, a buyout of, of the owner there, Farhad Mashiri. That would mean um, 777 having to repay them around £350 million, which is a quite substantial figure and uh when you add that to whatever they will end up paying for Mashiri's shareholding, it's um, not easy to see how 777 would be able to fund that without some kind of, of, of outside investment coming in. The problem here is that we don't know the, the source of 777's funds because they won't tell anyone. I think it would help greatly if the ownership of, of um this business came out and spoke to fans, made their, their feelings and their plans clear and told everyone where where their investment was coming from, because at the moment there are a lot of things that don't add up. The other thing is that it seems like an extraordinary time to agree a deal to take over Everton. Given that they're really struggling at the moment in, on, on several fronts, I mean, the, you know, their financial problems are, are big. They've got this stadium which is currently being built, but is, you know, is costing a lot of money. They've got to pay for this. They look like they could get relegated this season. I mean, they haven't been relegated for a very long time, as we know, but things are not looking good. And they've got also a, a an independent commission about to um, deliver a verdict, I think it's due next month, on their alleged breaches of financial fair play. I mean, they, they had written off 100, 170 million or 190, a huge amount of money, which they put down due to COVID losses. It seems like other people have said, well, hang on, this doesn't really meet with the financial fair play rules. So there is an investigation to that, which could result in a points deduction, which makes their situation even more imperiled. I don't know if I would be looking to, to agree a deal before I knew any of how that was going to unfold for, for this club. Mm. On, on the face of it, it looks like a, a terrible idea, right? It looks like a, a shambles behind the scenes. Some people have actually described it to me in, in those terms. Um, however... This is exactly what 777 do, um, and they are very open about it. They collect distressed assets. They come into clubs uh, which are struggling both financially and on the pitch quite often um, on the basis that they think they can turn things around in those businesses and they see some kind of upside from investing. In one respect, the, the deal they're getting is is certainly an interesting one because it is apparently performance related they would pay a different uh price for Mashiri's shareholding depending on whether Everton essentially are a Premier League club or not that, that obviously depends on the outcome of um uh this hearing next month into whether they've broken financial rules in in the Premier League and and we don't actually know yet because no figure has been confirmed by either side exactly what they are proposing to to pay for that shareholding the fact that there are no other groups really anymore who 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 got anywhere near down the line with this with with Mishiri suggests that this is now the only possible deal on the table for him and he's willing to to take it for whatever he's being offered I, I suspect that is not um a massive amount of money frankly and if things go badly at the commission and Everton are hit with a points penalty. If they struggle in the league this season, look like they might go down. I suspect that uh, the price paid will be extremely low. What do you think it says about where the Premier League is at right now? That you know, given that it's, we hear continually about how it's um, the most successful sports league in the world. 
the one of its most famous clubs is apparently you know as you, the words that you use are distressed asset as has kind of fallen to the status of this and maybe hoovered up by this uh, firm i mean the 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 reports that you and yourself and Philippe have done have detailed a lot of kind of litigation in the states to do with various aspects of this firm you know encompassing different industries aviation and you know the the structured settlements business and you know this kind of quite a lot you know, payday loans and these types of uh, feels there's a it's it's a controversial company to say the least and yet Everton Football Club which is one of the biggest names in English football which is supposedly in a great place at the moment may maybe about to sort of fall into the more of this entity I mean what what does it say about where the where the Premier League has arrived at I think it raises serious questions really um about the ownership of, of football clubs and I think it's damaging for the Premier League to have Everton um falling into this situation essentially for for a club to be in in for a club of this of such a historic nature to be uh so desperate for new ownership and to have so many problems behind the scenes and to be in such a financial mess is a very bad look but look it's happened before we we saw it with Leeds we saw it with clubs like Portsmouth you know it's happened before in the Premier League it will probably happen again I think that the key thing here for fans to, to think about is what kind of fit and proper person's test a league like the Premier League should be enforcing we're told that it was toughened up well this is a test of, of how of how tough it is as you say there are some very serious uh, lawsuits going through the American courts involving this company and and they are not insignificant they have been accused of predatory lending practices they are uh, accused of, of fraud in, in more than one case. All of these things will, will be looked at. These are just ac- accusations at the moment, Paul. As you say, they're, they're just yes, going through they the courts. Are, yeah, yes, they are. They are accusations that have yet to be proven in court. That is that is true. 777 will obviously are defending those cases vociferously. Um, all of those things will be looked at, though, by the Premier League, and they are an issue. If 777 were to be found guilty in any of those cases, I think it's highly unlikely that the Premier League would be able to sanction the sale of, of Everton to them. But that obviously is a is a big if. The most concerning of, of their cases involve the, the structured settlement business. I mean, we, we found one case where a, a lawsuit a lawsuit has been brought where the allegations are that a company owned by 777 essentially found a uh, 27-year-old single mother who had a structured settlement, a payout from a court for a, a personal injury claim. She suffered brain damage in, in a car accident. The allegations in, in that lawsuit are, are quite shocking that they they state that this company is essentially kidnapped her and kept her in, in drugs uh, and that she was convinced to sign away uh, a, a significant structured settlement to them for uh, much less than than it was worth. There is another one, in, in, a similar one, uh, where they are accused of exploiting a, a disabled schizophrenic young woman by buying uh, another structured settlement payment worth around $2 million for, for a fraction of its value. These are quite serious allegations. Obviously, they're being defended. They haven't yet been, been proven in court, but they are both active lawsuits. And I, I think, you know, people people need to be aware of this stuff when when it's a football club that uh, has community programs and, you know, does work in, in, in the community and is supposed to be a, a big part of its community. I think we need to know really the, who, who people are when, when they come along and try to buy into a club like this. It should be open knowledge for everyone so that we can decide, so we can draw our own conclusions. And we, I think regulators need to be taking a very, very long, hard look at, at all of the, the kind of people who are trying to own football clubs at the moment. Paul Brown, listen, thanks so much for coming on and explaining all that for us. Thanks, Emil. Thank you. Off to bed, I went. My head was fried. I didn't even know there was a damn card in the Fucking I was horror. devastated. I'd been off the smokes a while. Hard Saw that. Back on there. <laughs> I had a date organised for that night. A first date with someone cancelled that. My head was gone. <laughs> Woke up the following morning and to my absolute amazement, I read this message on my phone. 
Let me tell you, you only get in this because you're a former player of mine, and <laughs> I'm not too sure too many journalists would have got the third time lucky. Hi Richie, sorry the equipment just didn't work again, but it's no problem for me to do it again. Maybe see you in Ipswich one day for third time lucky. Best wishes, Mickey. Best wishes, Mickey. I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. I picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, yeah. that Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. Picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. Oh God. When I'm just looking down, I think all the red lights are still on. It looks like we've recorded this successfully. Mick, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so many times. Richie, I sincerely hope so because there's no fourth time lucky, let me tell you. Hopefully that conversation fleshed out some of the concerns around this 777 takeover of Everton. Just to say on the 4th of July after Josimar had published an investigation which among other details mentioned those two specific cases that Paul just described to us at the end of our conversation there. 777 issued a statement including the following paragraph In relation to the allegations made against Sutton Park, the business is a wholesale aggregator of structured deals not the originator of the funding mentioned in the article. Josh Wander, Steve Pascoe and 777 partners have no involvement in the origination of these contracts but they deeply sympathise with the plaintiff's plight. Champions League this week, we've got AC Milan against Newcastle. Newcastle back in the Champions League. That's uh, that's on early, by the way. If anyone wants oh, to watch it, yeah. that, you should remember that's the one that's on at like a quarter to six. Or on Tuesday. And Feyenoord Celtics also mm. Tuesday. Wednesday, Bayern versus Man United, you mentioned. Arsenal PSV. Um, Arsenal, could Arsenal win a Champions League this year? Everyone's talking about the Premier League, but maybe the Champions League is... That's likely a route to a trophy. Maybe even likelier. Yeah, yeah. My Man City. Somebody else could take out Man City. Yeah, on their behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Pep no, throws no. a wobbler. Are we still? Do we still hold on to the idea that Pep might still throw a wobbler? Not really. I think they. I think no. I don't. I don't no, really that's think so think anymore. To that. Uh, I think Arsenal definitely could. Of course, um, they definitely could. But um, that's not the same as saying they're likely. It would be interesting. To, I mean, when's the last time they played? Twenty seventeen. Is it? It's been quite a long time. So. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll were, obviously were we actually there the last time Arsenal played in the Champions League? Oh, at Barcelona. Yeah, we were. Well, we but the three of us were there. Neymar, on that particular Neymar, case. Suarez, Messi. Yeah. yeah. Well, but what what year was that? Was that? No, it was twenty sixteen. I think they got in. I think they played the f- the following season. I think they played the following season as well. Sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. So, no, but that yeah, that was uh, Messi scored two goals. Um, A pretty pretty good performance by Barcelona, as I recall. We even saw them on the bus on the motorway to the airport, same as ourselves afterwards. You remember that? Well, they, yeah, I mean, they're human same. beings, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> to get around. Also using air travel. To yeah, go. but there's, it's by no means all that likely that we would be on the motorway at the same time as that bus. I mean, I wasn't saying that I'm surprised they were getting the bus to the, to the airport. Obviously, they have to get to the fucking airport. I was just saying that we met them on the, on the, on the motorway at the same time. See, he's, Is he's, there a problem here? He sees Cambridge at uh, Liberty Hall, or yeah. not Liberty Hall, the Olympia. Suddenly he's taking motions. I'm not going to accept what McDevitt was up to there. He was trying to paint me as some sort this of is, moron, some kind of buffoon. And I am, I am not well, a I moron. Often, I often do that. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be a buffoon. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Odin. Thank you, Thank Ken. you, Odin. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Ken. Graham Souness on tomorrow. If you become a member, you can listen to that one. We'll also be covering the Champions League during the week. All episodes on the World Service are free of ads. The Second Campus Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Bye now. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.